You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have a repeat guest here with me, Louise Scott of Scott Bader, or Bader Scott rather, is a man who soon will not need an introduction because he is on so many different things. He is a personal injury attorney that has quite a story. He is the author of multiple books. I'm looking forward to consuming your new book. It Must Hurt, I believe is the name of the title. I think everybody should read that. Who is on a journey. And I had Luis on my podcast about two months ago, and he was gracious enough to send me a copy of his book, The King of Growth, that quickly became one of my favorite marketing books for attorneys. And I've consumed many. Awesome. Luis, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to having this discussion and diving into the book a little bit more. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's what I loved about the book. I think it's a very practical guide for an attorney who seeks growth and does not really understand why others are growing a lot faster than they do. There are a lot of answers that would be found in this book. So to whoever did not read it, I definitely recommend that you grab it and and you will see in this podcast why you should grab it. And to whoever grabbed it and read it once, I suggest reading it again. (laughs) This book is really worth not just reading, but studying. It's not a how-to manual. For marketing, a how-to manual would be like, if you remember, I'm aging myself here, Britannica Encyclopedia. (laughs) This is a guide that explains the what and some of the hows so that when you build a team or when you hire an outsource team that will do marketing for you, you will understand what they are to do and approximately how they are to do it, how to measure their performance, how to understand what works, what doesn't work, and why it doesn't work. It also opens up on some of the very important subjects that most others do not dare to cover, like how much is an appropriate marketing budget if you really want to rapidly grow, not the BS 4.3% per year, which <laughs> most law firms grow by, barely keeping your head above water, but the real growth. So I'm very excited about this. And I am going to actually read some excerpts from the book, and then we're going to cover them. All right, let's do it. So I am going to start with, before I actually read from the book, I want to say that this book is not just about marketing, it's about developing a business acumen, which for such smart people as lawyers, it requires significant brain power to become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Business acumen is not common. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, most people are good at understanding how to manage the law and how to uh, analyze the law, but they've never thought about how to construct a business. And those are two very, very different things. Yeah. You talk about one of the biggest hurdles, or at least I believe that it's one of the biggest hurdles that law firm owners are facing when they're figuring out what to do to grow grow their law firms. And here's the hurdle. Here's the excerpt. It is. 
This seems like common sense, but you would be surprised how many times I have to tell a lawyer to stop focusing on policies and procedures and start focusing on acquiring clients. Developing systems, policies, and procedures has become the scapegoat for law firm owners who fear marketing their law firm or investing their law firms. I so agree with this. The focus is on the minutia, the operations, something that a legal admin can do. Mm-hmm. But you, as a law firm owner, should be focused on the growth. Yeah, one of the things that one of the problems that that happens is um, many business owners, and this actually applies to anybody. This is not even law firm specific, but uh, I can speak to law firm owners because I am one, and I work with hundreds of them. They they go and gravitate towards the things that are the easiest. See, it's easy to write a policy and procedure and have a deliverable. You have a piece of paper that shows the policy, the procedure, the SOP, whatever. And that feels easy. It feels good. It's like we did something. We, we accomplished something. It's harder to theorize and strategize a marketing plan and then have to wait six, seven, eight months to see that deliverable come to fruition. And so what ends up happening is instead of marketing, people will say, and I've heard this before, people will say things like, I don't need to, I don't need to market. I don't need more clients. What I need is to be systematized. What I need is a better training. What I need is better people. And it's like, no, you don't need any of that right now. You need clients. And when you get clients, you will have the revenue to pay for the people to do all those other things that you're really wasting your time on. Why do you think people are so focused on, on this minutia? Is it just the comfort level, something that they know? What's well, it's the comfort level, but it, but it goes back to that concept is I, if I know I'm going to have a deliverable at the end of doing this activity and I don't know I'm going to have a deliverable doing the marketing activity, my entire body, mind, soul says, do the thing which, gonna, which is going to give you the, the, the ROI, the immediate ROI. Uh, I, I, I remember somebody saying that, that CEOs, business owners are adrenaline junkies. They are workaholics and they are deliverables based. They want to see something happen. And so they will work as hard as they can. They will work. They will take as much risk as they can to see a deliverable. But what they're not willing to do for the most most part, most CEOs, and, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush right now, but in my experience, no matter the industry, most CEOs have a very hard time being patient. And because they don't have patience, they gravitate towards the things that give them the sense that give them that 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 uh, dopamine high of achievement, and that is having a deliverable that they can control. Uh, which is another problem with many owners is that they 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 say they don't micromanage, but they're total control freaks, and so they want control over every aspect. And in marketing, you don't really have control. So a couple of points there to discuss. One is how do you overcome this? And you talk about marketers' mindset. I think that, that that's the concept that we should focus on. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the marketer mar- mindset is that marketing is your highest and best use. Uh, in, in terms of uh, what, what when we're trying to figure out what is our highest and best use of our time, marketing and sales are the number one thing that's, that you should be doing. Um, I, I would say that even as a, as a practitioner, I don't practice law anymore, but I do consulting. And as a practitioner in the consulting space, Outside of the hours that I spend consulting clients, I spend 90% of my time thinking about how to generate more business, which is kind of odd because I I grew a business from zero to five million in in two and a half years. And yet that's all I think about is how do I generate more business? Because 
everyone else can do all the other things. I can hire people to be great operations people. I can hire people to do policies and procedures. I can hire them to do all kinds of other things, but I can't hire them to develop the strategy that is going to promote my brand the best. But I know my brand and I know what I want out of my clients and I know what I want out of my business and I know what I want out of my life. And therefore, I'm in the best position to spend my time to be marketing and doing sales. So that's the marketing mindset is that marketing is the most important thing you can do for your business. Sales is probably the second most important, but definitely very close to maybe it's one B. Uh, the most important thing you can do for your business. And if you focus on marketing and sales, you will have enough clients to justify hiring the people you need to scale your business. Yeah. And Luis should know, uh, I haven't mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, not only do, are you one of the owners of an incredibly successful personal injury law firms in Atlanta, last we spoke, you guys were doing about $40 million, which is a huge right. accomplishment. Yeah. The second business that you own and actively spend your time on and energy is the eight-figure law firm, which is a consulting group that helps ambitious law firm owners go from wherever they may be today to, to those eight figures, 10 plus million dollars. So you speak from experience, your personal experience and experience of so many others. Absolutely. You know, in our 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 target is if you're 1 million and above, we can get you to 10 million and usually four years or less. Now, that's a very radical growth trajectory when you think about it. Uh, only about 0.15% of law firm owners reach 10 million in predictable revenue. And we've already helped 15 law firms in the last two and a half years do that. So you can do the math. We are, we are creating more eight-figure firms than any consulting group in the country. Can you explain the difference in lifestyle of a law firm owner? Oh my God. $1 million in revenue and $10 million <laughs> in revenue? Oh, can I explain it? I mean, the $1 million in revenue uh, 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 law firm owner is still an employee. They, they still have to go to work every day. Uh, they have the semblance of some success and maybe, maybe they have season tickets to uh, their sporting event. Maybe they can go to any concert. Maybe they can go to any dinner. Maybe they can go on any vacation. But at, at 10 million, uh, I teach a system that has you generating two and a half million dollars in income at 10 million of revenue. So that's a 25% profit margin where you don't have to do anything. In fact, one of the reasons that I started Eight Figure Firm Consulting is because I found myself with nothing to do in the law firm. I didn't, we were, we were 25 million in revenue at the time. I don't have anything to do. I was working three to five hours a week. And I needed to do something because I'm a values-driven person. So I went out and uh, uh, I created eight-figure firm consulting. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we talk about lifestyle, many times we focus on material things. And I have that. I have multiple homes, multiple boats. I have a Lamborghini. I have all the material things, money in the bank. But what we don't talk about is the time freedom. And I have that as well. And so I get to do what I want to do with my time. I get to decide if I want to do two weeks or three weeks vacation. I get to decide if I want to be in this beach or that beach. And that's the difference between 1 million and 10 million is that at 10 million, life becomes um, more predictable because you have a system that allows you to live the life that you want to live. I think it's really a difference between being an employee and preferably living yes. the dream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, at 1 million, you're still an employee. You're still an employee of your business. Even if, even if you have a 1099, even if you have, you know, an EIN number, it doesn't matter what you call your business. If you uh, cannot step away completely and to some extent you can never step away 
completely, but you, you could definitely step away in a way that you're not responsible for doing anything from the work perspective. I think the lifestyle is just so incredibly different. You tell people, how many hours do you work per week in your law firm? Do I tell people? No. Can, can you tell, can you share how many hours per week you work at uh, your law firm? Maybe three hours right now. It's yeah. It, the crazy thing is that I'm working about maybe three hours a week in my law firm and we'll grow by 10 million in revenue this year. So we will add 10 million in new revenue just this year. And I'm working about three hours a week in the law firm, maybe five. Sometimes, sometimes I get really crazy and have to work 10 hours. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds awful. Now, mo most folks who operate a million dollar business, be it a law firm or any other business, mm. they don't work 40 hours a week. They probably work 70 to 80. Yeah. yeah. Because things are not working as well as they could. That's right. Because there are already employees to manage. Right. Because there is not enough profit or revenue to go around to hire really skilled employees often, not always, but often. And there are numerous gaps that the owner usually has to fill. So the owner wears multiple hats and life is not easy. If you I know what? Oh, mm, I was, I was just going to say one of the, one of the most common, um, clients to hire us is a law firm that's been in business. This, this was not my, my ideal client by when, when I set up my avatar, this was not the avatar, but the, a very common theme is a, a lawyer who's had a business for 25 years, 15 to 25 years has been doing five to 6 million in revenue for five, six, seven, 10 years has been making one to $2 million in income for that time period. And they're calling us and going, we need to get to eight figures. And what I've realized through this process and through the study of these firms is that until you get to eight figures, you mentioned something about hiring the quality people that you need until you get to eight figures, you really don't have the revenue to hire a $250,000 COO. You don't have the revenue to hire a $250,000 at CFO. You don't have the revenue to hire a $250,000 CMO. Because you can't hire those people, you can never create enough leverage to step away from the business. So 10 million, the, the, what's the reason we, we teach 10 million is because at 10 million, you have enough to pay for all the key people you need so that you can step away from the business. That's why that is not the mountaintop, but that is the, that is base camp. We need to get there. And once we get there, we can decide if we want to grow from there. But that's the point where you can hire everyone you need to make sure that your business runs without you. I love what you just said, that that's a base camp. It's not the yes. mountaintop. So obviously you have climbed over that base camp and you keep on climbing toward the mountaintop, whatever it may be, you guys decide. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Mount Everest, right? Mount Everest has base camp and then they do additional camps as you go up, up the, the mountain. And you get to decide if you want to go to the peak, you know, uh, what is the peak? Well, the peak is whatever your goal and dream is. You know, for me, the peak is nine figures in revenue, which will be 50% of the way there this year. And so nine figures in revenue is the peak for me at that point. Um, you know, maybe I'm contemplating something different in my life. I don't know, but definitely, definitely fully stepping away at that point. But, but Base camp is still a good place. I think uh, I was doing some research on Mount Everest. Base camp is like 17,000 feet up the mountain. Like that's still a good place to go to. 100%. So let's put ourselves into shoes of somebody who may be listening, watching this, and they're running a typical small law firm. 
might be doing $500,000, $600,000, $700,000 in revenue. And it took them a lot of effort to get there. Mm-hmm. What kind of a mindset shift are we talking about to go from like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 10 years. I yeah. barely got here and life was difficult. Now you're telling me that $10 million is the base camp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a great question. And here's the thing. the There's exponential growth in the in this concept of one more. And the concept of one more is that if you can work one more minute than your competition or one more day than your competition or one more hour than your competition, or you can do one more rep or you can run one more mile than your competition, there's an exponential factor in your growth in that, right? And so let's just suppose that $500,000 firm is listening right now and it's taking them 10 years and they were putting in 50 hours a week, let's say 60 hours a week. I'm going to go real extreme, 60 hours a week for 10 years. They've only been able to generate 500,000. The exertion that you need to really create the momentum for your business is not 60 more hours. You wouldn't have to go from 60 hours a week to 120 hours a week. It's probably 70 hours a week. So it's probably 10 more hours a week, right? And I'm using time as an example but time's not required. What you do is you find the right coaching company, you find the right consultants who are gonna give you the shortcuts so you reduce the amount of time. So option number one is you spend the next 10 years working 70 to 80 hours a week so that you can get that one more rep, that one more mile, that one more uh, uh, weight training lift, or you can hire a consultant who's gonna show you how to streamline everything, cut all the corners you need to cut and avoid the pitfalls and cut your time in half. And that's where I recommend people go. If you've been working 10 years and you're only at 500,000 or you're only at a million, you need a coach and you need a consultant to help you shortcut this thing. 100% agree. And although I am not a client, but knowing you, having read your book, I highly recommend Eight Figure Law Firm because you know what it takes. And I believe you have the roadmap for your clients. And you mentioned how many clients have you taken from wherever they were to 10 million plus? So we've taken 15 law firms to uh, 10 million in revenue so far in two and a half years. Um, We've also um, worked with over 100 law firms and we have created, I think 30 law firms have now generated a million in personal income because of the work that we've done. Median income for attorneys in 2021, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics was (laughs) $127,990. And we have have 30 members who are making a million dollars. I mean, when you come to one of our masterminds, it's it's basically a a, a millionaire's networking event because everyone that comes is is earning a million dollars in personal income. Yeah, I want to, I'm sure people who watch this or listen to this, they will be going to eight figure law firm, checking it out and asking, can I afford this? I think the right question, and you have to have a mind shift is, can I afford not to go? And I always think about there is there is the price and then there is the cost and the cost of not going is significantly more than the cost of going. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that it's all about your belief level. So I had a client um, about two and a half years ago, was, it was like when I was first starting off and she came to me, she was doing about $1.2 million in revenue and she said, I believe in your in your pro- program, your systems. I've seen your videos. I've read your ebook, and and I'm ready to do this. And I told her, I said, "Well, um, you don't have the revenues to really market because th- they were they were running kind of in the in the red." And I said, uh, "You know, the the program um, is is affordable, but it's not cheap." She says, "It doesn't matter. I'll you know I'll take I'll take a loan if I have to." And um, and that's the type of mentality that you need in order to be successful. 
Um, and she's come on. She's been incredibly successful, more than grown two or three hundred percent in her business. And so if you take somebody who has that mentality and they can go from one point two to six and a half million dollars in three years, like that's worth the, the, the investment, even if you have to borrow it, uh, because the, the time shortcut is going to be worth whatever you're paying for it. Yeah. Plus the return on investment, it keeps on paying in perpetuity. It's not one year. It is right. Forever. You're not going to go backwards. Yeah, we're not we're not going backwards. Once you get to five, six, seven, eight, ten million, you're going to keep going. You're going to do that every year. What had to happen in her life? Not necessarily a single event, but what mm -hmm. led up to the point where she made that decision, she made that commitment, and went for it. I think a lot of people have to get to the point where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And until you you really you know they call that the rock bottom principle. Until you're sick and tired of being sick and tired you're really not gonna make a change in your life. Until you hate the life that you currently live, you're really not gonna make a change in, in your life in any kind of significant way. And so when people are living their lives in the same state, let's say they're making the same income over and over and over and barely getting raises, and the, or maybe they're living in the same house that they hate or, or they're going on the same vacations that they hate. What I know about that person is that they don't hate that enough. They don't hate their life enough. They don't hate their income enough. They don't hate their job enough because if they did, they would do something about it and they would make a change. What I know is that they're comfortable and complacent. They're okay with that lifestyle. I have a friend of mine, her dad always says, you get what you tolerate. You get what you tolerate. And if you continue to tolerate a low salary, if you continue to tolerate a, a house you hate, if you continue to tolerate a place you don't, a, a vacation you don't like, that's what you're going to get. And people say, well, you know, what is it going to take? Well, I don't know what it's going to take. I, all I know is at five o'clock in the morning, I'm reading every day because I'm scared to death that I'm not going to grow enough to become the success that I was created to be. All I know is that I stay up until midnight to get the work done. And people go, well, well, that, that's too much work. I don't want to do all that work. Well, you're going to get what you tolerate. And to me, it, was, it wasn't okay that that I didn't get to fly first class on a plane. I didn't want, I did not want coach. Okay. It's not pretentiousness. I did not want to fly coach. It wasn't okay that I didn't get to go on the vacations that I wanted. That was not okay. It wasn't okay that I couldn't take care of my parents. That wasn't okay to me. And so I was not willing to tolerate that. And that meant that I had to do things that were much more extreme. And that's what it really takes to be successful. Good for you. One of the things that you cover in the book is you talk about focusing on your strengths, but what if the law firm owner who is watching this, listening to this, or reading your book recognizes that marketers' mindset is not their strength? Mm -hmm. They're just not a business person. They started a law firm because they wanted better than the job that they had at the wherever they worked. Mm -hmm. Now they have their own law firm. They have their own struggles, but it's just not their strength. What do you tell them? I tell them that they need to find someone who compliments them. I tell them that they need to find someone who's amazing at marketing. And they need to make the investment into that person. And they need to make the investment into their own personal enrichment. You know, I was not really great at networking. This is very surprising to a lot of people who meet me because most people who meet me say, you're very extroverted. I'm like, I am totally not extroverted. I get, I'm drained at the end of a networking meeting. Like, I don't, I don't even really want to be there. I want to kind of go to the house and just hang out. But the reason that people think I'm extroverted is because about 10 years ago, and even as recently as maybe three years ago, 
I told myself I, I, that I, I didn't know that going back to the tolerate, I no longer wanted to tolerate feeling uncomfortable in a networking event. And I went and downloaded, downloaded 25 books on networking and read every single one of them and was like, this is going to be, this is going to be my thing. And, um, one of the books was called charisma can be learned. And because I always thought that people were just naturally charismatic and no, you can learn to be charismatic. It, you know, it's the, the art of being an actor. So I can come on here and I can be like, Hey guys, I'm ready to talk to you. I'm ready. Oh my gosh. Hey, you know, Hey, Hey Paul. Hey, you know, Hey Becky, how's it going? How are the kids? Like I can be that way if I turn myself into an actor. Right. And so I learned that by reading these books and I said, you know what? I can be charismatic. I can be outgoing. I can be friendly. And so there's two things that I would tell you is if you're not great at marketing and you have to have the marketing mindset, you're going to have to hire someone who can do the work because you're generally not going to fall into things that you don't love, but you need to get super educated on how, how to market so that you understand when you're working with vendors and with people on your team. Would you agree that this is one very common problem when attorneys partner up with other attorneys to build a firm or to beef up their firm? They tend to be people with exact same skill sets, maybe different practice areas, but they don't really complement each other. They don't complement each other because they joined the person because they got along really nicely. Mm. And so they meet someone, they're both PI attorneys, they both love going to court, they both love, they, they, let's work together. Let's just, you know, let's start a, a business together. And they're both lawyers. They're both not business owners. They're both not good at money management. They're both not good at marketing. That's not going to work. And so you want to make sure that if you decide to go in a partnership with someone that you've, that you've made the decision that that someone is, uh, is, is, is someone who actually has different skill sets than you. So true. You have a business partner. I assume that you and he have different skill sets and focus on different things. Yeah, for I mean, for the last five years, he's primarily been in, involved in uh, vision and marketing, and I've done operations and finance. Makes perfect sense. I have the same or very similar arrangement with my business partner. I want nice. to read once again from the book about what I think is a very common hurdle for an objection mm -hmm. toward developing a marketing mindset and toward just doing marketing in general. If your mindset is that you don't have enough resources because you can't grow your firm and you can't grow your firm because you don't have enough resources, you'll forever be stuck in a negative feedback loop. At some point, you have to take the plunge and start spending money on marketing so you can generate a return. The key to interrupting, and this is so important, the key to interrupting this vicious cycle of inaction is to focus on what you do have and make that your biggest strength until you can ramp up. Uh, those other areas. The truth is you will always be constrained in some way. And the sooner you learn to think outside of your limitations creatively, the sooner your marketing mindset will become your superpower. Mm. I mean, I loved hearing that again. Here's the thing. We can always find what we need in the universe to get us to the next level. And when I talk about that negative feedback loop is that people say, I need money to grow my business and my business won't grow because I don't have money, not realizing that their greatest asset is probably the sweat equity. And in the same way that you could start your business from nothing and be wherever you are, 200,000, 500,000, a million, you can go from a million and go to wherever you want to be. You just have to be as creative as you were at the beginning. 
See, at the beginning, you didn't have any money, but you were creative enough to get to 500,000 or a million. And then the question is, now that you don't have any money again at the million, how do you think creatively enough to get to 1.5 and 2? And so I, I think that it's, it's a matter of honing the superpower of thinking outside the box and asking yourself, what can I do differently? And that's something that uh, happens when you're willing to take the time to sit down and think. And I believe all leaders should spend at least one hour a day thinking where they sit back in a chair and they think no, no cell phone, no computer, no social media. They just think. And if they do that, it's going to be a powerful, powerful process for them finding out those resources that are going to help them benefit their and benefit their business. I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the point of spending time, deliberate time on thinking. Mm-hmm. Japanese school of management dictates that all managers are to spend 90 minutes per day uninterrupted. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uninterrupted. So if your subordinate is walking past your office and you're looking out the window, they're not to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. You're not doing nothing. You're allowing your brain to process whatever needs to be processed. 90 yeah. minutes. No computer, no cell phone, no social media, God forbid, no emails, zero distractions. What I find that works for me is if I'm sitting at my desk, I will be distracted. I leave my phone on my desk and I go for a walk. One hour, not 90 minutes, but one hour. I just walk around my neighborhood and I think about the next problem that I need to solve, the next goal that I want to accomplish, a challenge of sort that I'm dealing with one hour every day. But this requires commitment. Like you have to put that one hour on your calendar. Yep. And if you don't, somebody will grab it. Well, here's the thing is in the same way that you spend that time thinking and I spend my time thinking, if we encourage our employees to spend their time thinking, we would end up with a business that has tremendously much more creativity and much more outside the box opportunity. But what happens with employers and bosses is they go, I'm not going to pay someone to sit around and think. I'm not going to pay, right? They need to be working. And so then we lose out on this tremendous creativity that we could we could acquire from these people. And what I've done in Eight Figure Firm is all of my team is encouraged to spend some time thinking. I tell them, go off and think about that for a while and then come back and tell me what you've thought about. In fact, this morning I was sending my director of operations for Eight Figure Firm and I said, let's start thinking about our product and let's start asking the question, how do we make the product better? And she's like, when do you want to have this done by? Let's two weeks, three weeks, we'll put it on the calendar. For now, all I want you to do is think about it. I don't need a deliverable. Think about it and we'll meet and talk. And that's very rare. That's very rare that a boss or an employer is willing to allow people to think. And so they end up with a lot of people who can't think. And then they're frustrated that their team doesn't think and add value (laughs) and so forth. You got me. I never thought about asking my employees, my team, to spend time thinking. I do it. My partner does it. But there's not a single employee who I told, hey, one hour per day, just think. Yeah. And the question is, do you have the courage to go back and tell them? Because you know, let's say you have 10 employees. That's 10 hours that you're you know, losing productivity. But not if they come up with an amazing idea. And I'll give you an example. My uh, my director of programs, 
for eight figure firm, she spent some, some thinking time two years ago and she came up with this concept. It was a curriculum for training the second in command of law firm owners. And that training course that she developed, we then worked on it and collaborated together. But that idea and that training course and that curriculum has resulted in us making over 500,000 in revenue in the last two years because I allowed her time to think. I would have never thought of that, what she came up with, because I was focused on, on the CEO. I was focused on the law firm owner. And she said, why don't we train the second in command? Why don't we train them and develop them on how to work with the law firm owner? And it was powerful. At least what, half a million in revenue because of that. What did it cost you to get this half a million dollars in revenue? Um, well, once we, de once we developed the, the curriculum, I paid probably two or $3,000 to print the books. And I spent probably $5,000 in marketing to market to my current and uh, potential clients. And we had hundreds of people end up signing up. We ended up signing them up for a leadership course. I think we've run 300 people through the leadership course and the management course. And what did it cost you in her thinking time? <laughs> she came up with the idea after about maybe a month or so. So let's say, let, let's say 20 hours of thinking time, <laughs> right? If you pay them $50 an hour, I'm going high, right? So $50 an hour at 20 hours, it cost me a thousand dollars of her thinking time to come up with the program that's made us half a million dollars. Right there. That's it. That's not a marketer's mindset. That's a leadership mindset. Yeah, I mean, that. Well, that's a totally different hour, right? <laughs> that's a totally different hour, and you should write a different book about it. <laughs> well, it, th this is the, uh, the, the, now that you've said that, I'll let the uh, cat out of the bag. Uh, I'm in the process of writing a book called Limitless Leadership and uh, how to live to your full potential in a world that wants to keep you constrained. And so we're going to be talking about how to truly be an amazing leader. And uh, it's some of the things that I've learned that, that work. For you, I think I think just based on what I read in this book, it's going to be a great book. Is it going to be geared toward attorneys or oh, no, leaders geared, in general? Leaders in general. It's going to be a general market book, and it's going to be focused on just becoming the absolute best leader you can possibly be. Let me go back to the idea, like the difference that it makes to a lifestyle of someone who runs a million-dollar law firm in a ten-million-dollar law firm. In your case, a forty-million-dollar law firm that you spend about three hours a week managing, and you have another business. You're now a father of three kids. Congratulations on your most recent addition. I think oh, you had four. a baby. This is my fourth. Four, my fourth four kids. Yeah. Sorry, four kids. I misspoke. You had your fourth like in the last couple of weeks, right? That's right. Yep. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Congratulations. So four kids, three hours of labor per month in a $40 million law firm that's gearing to be a $50 million law firm. That's right. Multiple homes, uh, Lamborghini boats, et cetera, et cetera. And freedom to think yes. and freedom to write multiple books yes. and if you decided not to do any of those things you would have had a freedom of not doing any of those things <laughs> right <laughs> versus a, a law firm owner who manages owns a million dollar law firm five hundred thousand dollar law firm two million dollar law firm yeah. working 50 60 70 hours a week mm -hmm. being stressed out probably dissatisfied with those results. The solution to that 
to go from 1 million to 10 million. And you said you can do it in four years, which is an incredible speed of growth. Incredible. Mm -hmm. In the world where most businesses grow at 4.3% and like ambitious businesses grow at 25%. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to invest the time, energy, and money to get there. But mm -hmm. once you build it, like you said, you're not going to go back. The ROI is in perpetuity. So invest into developing that marketer's mindset, invest into developing that leadership mindset, and invest into getting the right people. And when I say the right people, it's not just employees, it's getting the right consultants yeah. who are going to compress this journey from what could take 30 years into four years, getting yeah, the right. I, mean, I, I, I I'm going to be releasing um, some testimonial information and videos of one of my clients, uh, one of my absolute best clients who started working with me when she was 2 million um, in September of 2021. This um, video is being recorded now, September of 2023, and uh, she just surpassed 10 million in revenue. She went from two to 10 in two years, 24 months using the program. What are the big three to five steps she had to take to get there? So after you overcome your ego, your pride, and your um, fear, uh, step number one was to spend 25% in marketing, which is outlined in that book, to do it in the way that we teach. Uh, step number two was to, be, to become a better and more incredible leader. And step number three was to hire better talent. And those were the three things she did. She went all in in the marketing. She started working on herself and developing herself, and she started hiring better people. And uh, the next thing you know, she went from 40 to 120 employees as well in two years. So from 40 to 120 employees in two years, from two to 10 million in revenue in two years. That's an amazing story. I wonder how she felt seeing this tremendous growth in just 24 months. Uh, well, I mean, uh, her and her husband just bought a private plane, so, uh, you know, a jet. So that, I'm sure she feels okay. <laughs> I'm sure she does. So they, yeah, they bought a they, they bought a, a jet. And so uh, life is good when you can earn two and a half, three million dollars a year. Life life gets good. So it's amazing. And it's predictable because what we teach is predictability of, of, of outcomes. That's what we want more than anything. Let's talk about that 25% allocation. It's 25% of your last 12 months revenue, and you can continue to ramp that up quarter over quarter. Allocation toward marketing. I want to break it down. I know that you broke it down very specifically. Mm -hmm. it, it, those are guidelines within the book. Here's what I found very interesting. You suggested that out of those 25%, let's say the firm did $1 million over the last 12 months. So your recommendation is allocate 250,000, which is seriously going to eat away, take home pay from the owner who's doing a million dollars. Of course. It's just allocating $250,000 or 25% of that million toward marketing, which is attracting new clients. But here's what really caught my attention. Out of that 25%, you recommend that 60% of it goes toward branding, branding type of marketing. I didn't get a strong sense of specifically what type of branding marketing you're recommending to do for that 60%, which is still majority of the budget. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, uh, just to, just to uh, really refine that, that process, uh, I've now broken down the size of the law firm to develop a, a better system for spend. If you're between zero and 3 million, 80% of your, your budget should go towards direct response. 20% to branding 
If you're between 3 million and 8 million, 60% branding, 40% direct response. If you're in 8 million and above, it's 80% branding, 20% direct response. So it flips from the front to the back. The branding that I'm talking about is creating awareness. So everything that creates awareness, but doesn't have a direct connection between the visual or message and hiring the firm is considered branding. So social media posts, organic social media posts is branding um, because there's no real direct link. They see your ad and they just keep going. They see your ad two times, three times, 35 times they see your ad, and then they may eventually call. That's branding. A paid search, so pay-per-click, LSA, paid social media with a call to action, call us now, click on this button, that is direct response. And so that's how I divide it up. Anything that doesn't have a direct line. And the reason that we know, so like TV is branding. And I, and I had somebody argue with me about this and they said, no, 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 no. TV is not branding. It's direct response. I said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to spend a third, a third, a third, a third on TV, a third on radio and a third on billboard. And, and let me know if you can attribute every single client that comes through your doorstep. You can, Impossible. you don't know where they're coming from right? They don't, they, they may tell you it's a referral. They may tell you it was a friend. They may tell you it was from here, from there. I, I don't know where I saw you because there's no direct link between the TV ad and, and the person calling you. Unlike pay-per-click, they click on your ad and you get their phone number. So that's how you know. Um, that's not the case with social media. That's not the case. Now they may tell me that it came from social media. They may tell me it was from the TV or the radio, but there's no direct link unless they tell me. And so that's why I classify those things as branded campaigns. There's another factor that should be considered, and that is when you do branding, branded type of marketing, whether it's, I just refer to it as a broadcast, right? You're broadcasting your message out there, whether they care to see it or not. Most or people not. don't. Yeah. But when they are searching, when they actually have the need, if they do have that brand recognition, if they have seen your name, mm -hmm dozens of times or hundreds of times, the probability that they will actually click on that link in direct response marketing, like search marketing, increases. Mm -hmm. Because they already like, oh yeah, I've, I've seen their ads. Like they've been around forever. They're all over the town. Familiarity is, is critical to having a better and more efficient marketing plan. And I give this example all the time. And I don't know if Chick-fil-A exists everywhere, but if you live in the South and definitely in the East Coast, there are Chick-fil-A's. But Chick-fil-A is like a McDonald's. It's a chicken restaurant. For those of you guys who've never heard of it, it's a chicken restaurant like a McDonald's, the best customer service you've ever experienced. And here's the thing. If I'm driving down the road in Georgia and I see Mama's Chicken Sandwich, and then right next to it, I see Chick-fil-A. I don't care if Mama's Chicken Sandwich has a 5.0 with a thousand reviews, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A because it's a known quantity. I've never heard of mama's chicken sandwich. I don't know who mama's chicken sandwich. I'm going to need somebody to tell me that who's eaten there, that it's good. Right. And that, that's what familiarity does for you is it provides you the, the opportunity to get people to pay and to pay a premium. Louis Vuitton does not have to convince people that they have good handbags. It doesn't have to convince people that their brand is going to give you extra status. There's so much familiarity between pop culture and hip hop and people buying it that everyone sees the LV and they know it's that Louis Vuitton, that's status. And you want to create status with your law firm. 
does does your law firm exude that status? Do they think about your law firm and say, "Wow, yeah, that's a that's a good brand right there. I want to be a part of that if I have a if I have a case." And if people don't say that, then they don't know you well enough, and that's what you want to do with your marketing. Makes perfect sense. I really like that you refined the formula that mm -hmm. for smaller law firms, 80% should go to direct response because so I operate a search marketing company mm -hmm. and most of our law firm clients are sub 10 million, significantly mm -hmm. sub 10 million. They could be like 5 million. Some of them are bigger, but a lot of them are smaller. And for them to allocate majority of their marketing budget toward branding, first of all, they're smaller budgets. Mm -hmm. Second of all, they would just not get a significant uplift, but as they grow, they should be allocating more toward branding. And let me give you a really funny example. So I immigrated to United States 30 years ago, have always lived in Chicago. When I just got here in December of 1993, the way that I learned English, I would just sit in front of TV, the 19-inch tiny Admiral TV. Back then it was huge, but today yeah. 19 inches, nothing. And I would watch public television. I didn't go to school the first few months. I would just sit and watch, but because we moved into like a terrible neighborhood, my sister was like, you're not going to the school. Yeah. So I watched TV and every night there was a guy, Peter Francis Geraci, the bankruptcy attorney for all of <laughs> Chicagoland. Thank God I've never, ever, ever come close to being in bankruptcy. I right. haven't seen an ad by Peter Francis Geraci in probably 25, 28 years. I've seen so many of his freaking videos, mm -hmm. his name, his face are permanently ingrained in here. So if somebody asks me, mm. who is the bankruptcy attorney in Chicago? <laughs> I don't even know if he's still alive. <laughs> Peter Francis Geraci. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That's the power of branding. That's the power of branding. But you have but yeah, to have significant, it, significant it, it spending time. power. Yeah, it does take time. And, and I will tell you, when we started at Eight Figure Firm, I because we have such a large budget for the law firm, I knew branding worked and, and uh, I actually did all branding. Um, I'm pretty much 90% uh, branding <laughs> in the in eight figure firm. And I'm willing to pay, play the long game because I really want to develop the, the, the reputation, which is our vision uh, for, for the business uh, to be the leading authority in law firm building. Like that's the brand that I want to have the, to be the leading authority in law firm building. So we spent all our time trying to create a product that actually is exceptional. And that's, that's what we're doing right now. Good for you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much yes. for sharing all these great insights. You're watching this, you're listening to this. Don't spend another second without ordering this book on Amazon. I am so bullish on this thing because should you read it? Should you learn it? Don't just read it, learn it. Should you implement it or have the right people implement it for you? Your life will change. Just like that client who went from 2 million to 10 million and buying a private jet mind-blowing and you said that 0.15 percent or is it 0 0.015 percent actually well, make point, it to point 0.15 percent so 0.15 percent yeah one out of 700 yes yes this is you're looking at the shortcut that's my goal is to give you the shortcut to get there and anybody who's willing to put in the work can get there amazing Louis, thank you so much. Go check out Eight Figure Law Firm. Go to Amazon, grab the book. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it again. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. 
If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.